hello everybody and welcome to the show. My name is Ryan Polly. Now you might have known this as the Coffee House Questions podcast or maybe the Cro- Coffee House Questions radio show on 100.1 KGBA, but there's been a little bit of a name change. I guess I am now calling it the Ryan Polly podcast or the Ryan Polly radio show. And the main reason for that is because unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know what you think, but YouTube has become kind of my my main ministry. Uh, that is where I really am producing content is for YouTube and then turning it into a podcast and radio show. So rather than this primarily being a podcast uh, that then goes to radio, this is now primarily YouTube that goes to podcast and radio. And so on YouTube, for a while now, I have just been going by my name, Ryan Polly. And so the YouTube audience nece- doesn't necessarily know me as coffee house questions. Um, I am kind of promoting myself as a speaker, as an apologist, and as a podcast radio show host interviewer on YouTube. And so that is why I go by my name, Ryan Polly, rather than coffee house questions, uh, rather than kind of promoting, I guess, a brand. It's myself as I'm trying to get some speaking events and things like that. And so because YouTube since January, really, for the last nine months has been just Ryan Polly and not really associated with Coffeehouse Questions, there's kind of been a little bit of a disconnect, I guess you could say. And so it was recently that I finally decided to make the switch to where now the podcast is, I think, been retitled officially as the Ryan Polly podcast. The picture is still the same as of now. It still says Coffee House Questions, and the radio show, I think, is the same, uh, but that is kind of the switch that has been made. And so you are still going to get the same content. You're still going to get the interviews with scholars and experts related to the Christian worldview. I still want to challenge you to think deeply and consider the things of Christianity Um, it's just going to go by a slightly different name. Now, the website is still going to be www.coffeehousequestions.com. That's not changing, and mainly because ryanpolly.com is taken. But um, anyways, the website is going to stay the same. But I just want to let you know, in case you happen to see the name change, in case you happen to see something different, not a lot is really going to change. It is simply just the name. And that is mainly just because I want a consistency throughout all the different platforms. So my my Instagram, I never started a Coffeehouse Questions Instagram. That was just Ryan Polly. Um, I never really you know started anything else. And so I just want a consistency. And I've chosen to just go with my name for that. And so the Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything is simply just my name. There's not necessarily a ministry behind it. Now you can support if you want to, you can support on Patreon, uh, but there's not kind of this ministry name that is being branded uh, behind it all. And so I just want to let you know that at the beginning of the episode today, we will be jumping into part two of Megan Alman. I probably should have said that at the very beginning, so you didn't have to listen to a few minutes trying to figure out what this is about. But we will be (laughs) jumping into part two of Megan Alman here in just a moment. Uh, But I wanted to let you know that first. And before again, we jump in, I also wanted to let you know of some interviews that will be coming up for you. Now, these have already been recorded and broadcast on YouTube. I am behind on YouTube, so you're getting things about a month or two behind, and I'm trying to catch up a little bit, but um, I want to let you know what's coming up. So next week, there's going to be a Q&A with me, 
Uh, I'm going to take some questions live from people on YouTube. After that is me, Lauren Pankratz, discussing the impossible gospel, how the Mormon view of salvation and grace differs from the Christian view and how the Christian view is so beautiful and how we can use that to get into conversations with Mormons. It was a really, really fun interview. And he is so smart on this topic as he wrote his doctoral dissertation, his doctoral project on the Mormon view of grace. After that, actually, is a really fun episode where uh, two friends of mine, um, Jimmy Davis, a youth pastor, and Neil Hardin, a theologian, the three of us got together to create a video youth curriculum uh, for his church. And so we spent two nights, probably four to five hours each night, recording this video curriculum that he was creating. And at the end of all of it, it's like, hey, we got everything set up. Let's record a YouTube show. And so we did a little bit of a show as well as a live Q&A answering questions from the perspective of a pastor, theologian, and apologist. It was a lot of fun. After that, you can look forward to an interview with Jay Warner Wallace, where we actually took a step back from the arguments for God's existence and the evidence for God to ask the question, what actually counts as evidence. And this came up as part of a conversation I had with an atheist over the summer on his YouTube channel um, discussing what is evidence and what is the evidence for God. And he kind of presented a different view of evidence. So I had Jay Warner Wallace on, a cold case homicide detective, to discuss the nature of evidence. After that, was Dr. Marita Gouda. Uh, he came on. He's a philosopher of neuroscience. And again, my conversation with the atheist, I uh, brought up a lot of neuroscience objections against the soul. And so he came on to talk about what does neuroscience have to say about the soul. And then finally, just today, I'm recording this, but this is uh, going to be for you in quite a while, uh, was a special episode with John Lennox. Now, I may release that sooner because it was a shorter episode. It won't be a full radio show, but... Um, fun conversation with John Lennox. So that is some things that you can look forward to. So without having you to make, without making you wait any longer, here is the rest of my conversation with Megan Alman. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Kristen wrote in here in the live chat. Uh, and one of the uh, uh, objections to um, the pro-life view is if you make abortion illegal, then there's going to be back alley unsafe abortions. And I think even one of those is one that's going to come up here in a moment. But she says, uh, what's been your most effective argument against back alley abortions if it was made illegal? Yeah, um, I think that when she said it will make for unsafe abortions, um, my my question going back to when we were talking about these when people skip that, what is the unborn question? Mm. This is one of those for me. Now, let me be very clear about this. I am not okay with anyone being harmed because of abortion. Anyone. Um, no one should be. But my question for someone who would say that would automatically be unsafe for whom? And of course, they're talking about the mother. And that mm. is a concern that she would go and try and you know, out of desperation or whatever it would be that, that she would seek something that might harm her. Um, no one wants that. But every successful abortion term, um, ends a human life. Yeah. There is no abortion that is safe for the unborn human who is involved in the procedure. Um, and so I think that that's an important part of this conversation. If it is true that the unborn are unquestionably human, science tells us that. If it is true that they are valuable members of the human community like you and I are, philosophy tells us that because there's no difference between them and us that is important enough to say that they can be killed, but not people out of the womb. Um, if those things are true, 
then every abortion takes a human life. Um, and so abortion should be made illegal. And, and those unsafe back alley abortions are, God, I mean, we just pray that wouldn't happen. I have more common sense to know that it's not going to be easy, yeah. um, but they're not safe for the unborn child ever. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be my first go-to. Now, I know the concern there is, well, what do we do about it? Well, that's that's a different question. Um, but the primary question here in terms of who's being harmed um, needs to be addressed. Yeah. So that's where I would go with that. Um, I think that it is important to point out that the you know, the background of the back alley abortion rhetoric would point to all the, you know, these tens of thousands of women who were harmed in back alley abortions prior to Roe v. Wade, which has actually been debunked hmm. uh, by the <laughs> by the abortionists at the time, um, which you know pointed out that uh, gosh, more than 90 percent. And I'm quoting Mary Calderon, who was um, she was she was a big proponent and had a, a heavy voice in terms of uh, what was happening around that time. But more than 90 percent of abortions were performed by physicians in good standing in their communities. Mm. Um, so there's that as well. Yeah. I don't think it helps with the lives that were harmed or lost because of that. Um, but the fact that every abortion does take a human life, if it's successful, needs to be remembered in that objection. Yeah. Again, I pointed out the toddler thing. Like nobody has a problem with laws against harming toddlers, even if someone may be harmed in trying to do that. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Good. Well, um, all right. So we're going to jump in and kind of maybe we'll go quickly through these because we, we just hit an okay. hour. But um, yeah, okay. kind of uh, kind of do maybe a little speed round or something. I don't know. But uh, it says uh, here, the first one is, uh, fact, uh, anti-abortion is anti-woman. Fact, anti-abortion activists assign more rights to a fetus than a woman. They give a fetus special rights while taking rights away from a woman. And then fact, abortion laws give a corpse more rights than a pregnant person. I think I would have to be, I'd have to throw in a, a tactical question there. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, anti-abortion anti is anti-woman. Okay, let me, the speed round. So what I'm going to have to do is ask for a lot of grace on these responses. Because <laughs> um, if I'm just giving if, intellectual If you want to take more time, we're fine. Like I don't care. Yeah, um, so yeah, I, I don't have a time limit necessarily. So, you know, it's, uh, but no, it's up to you. No, I want to be respectful yeah, yeah. of your time other people's. No, I think good. that um, those, the first two in particular, um, well, well, and the third, all assume that the unborn is not human, like you and me. Mm-hmm. Because if it were um, granted that the unborn is human and valuable, these objections would not be being made. Anti-abortion being anti-woman um, is only looking at particular women, mm. not the women in the womb. Um, the fetus having uh, special rights in some way, if we're talking about the right to life, well, that's the foundational right that all of us are granted by virtue of our human nature. Yeah. Um, abortion is, a, is, a, is a, a, a right granted by the government, which I think is wrong, wrongly so, um, but those types of rights differ than our natural rights. So the fetus doesn't have special rights. Every human being has natural rights by virtue of their nature. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we'd have to go back and forth there. There might be something about autonomy they want to talk about or something like that, but um, th there's more to be delved into. The corpse thing, I'm like, hmm, how, how so? <laughs> yeah, the unborn is not a corpse. It's alive. Right, yeah. <laughs> So that one, that one, I think I'd have to ask for some clarification yeah, on that one. Yeah, perfect. No, I think that's important to point out is we're not uh, assigning more rights to a fetus. It's simply mm -hmm. the right to life that all people have. Um, awesome. Uh, next one, uh, denying women abortion care is not an act of love or caring. It mm -hmm. is an act of cruelty, abuse, control, and dehumanization. There is no good or justification in taking away another's choice in their own bodies and pregnancies. So what, what would you say to this kind of this argument of, of taking uh, uh, 
being pro-life is not loving. It's actually abuse control and dehumanizing. I could make the same um, argument about abortion. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it assumes the unborn are not human like you and I are human. And we, we, we've given an argument for that. We've appealed to science. We've appealed to philosophy. So anyone who disagrees with that, respectfully, they're allowed to do so, um, but they've got to bring forth evidence that would debunk the evidence that's brought forth for this position in order to be able to say something like abortion is not, or I mean, being pro-life is not loving or caring, but rather dehumanizing. There's nothing more dehumanizing than abortion. It discounts an entire class of human beings from valuable humanity based on arbitrary differences. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it's important uh, pointing out of it uh, when you when you make the kind of what you mentioned before about your your nephew, AJ, it's it's we all recognize like, no, saying that you can't kill your three year old nephew like that just is what's right. Right. It's not a it's not me controlling you. That's just what should be expected. Right. And so when we understand this basic sense of, I think, morality and we can mm -hmm. use arguments like that, would you do this to a, a, a toddler, a newborn? Uh, it's not trying to control the person. It's just recognizing what, how we should live, how we should act. Yeah. It's kind of, it's just giving a concrete example to make it clear in Absolutely. terms of taking choice away. Cause there was a third part to that, um, that I was just chewing on for a second. I think it depends on the nature of the choice, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so this is where the, the, the names or the labels are only helpful so far. Uh, mm -hmm. like they, there's a point at which they're not helpful anymore because being, uh, pro-life does not mean that I'm anti-choice on any number of things, right? I, I, I as a woman, I've chosen all kinds of things <laughs> for my, I am pro-choice on many, many things, yeah. but the nature of this choice is different because it's the choice as to whether or not we ought to be allowed to intentionally kill a human embryo or fetus. No one begs questions about that definition, by the way. Um, Pro-lifers just want to insert baby instead of the scientific terms for human beings at those stages of development. Um, but that's a different kind of choice. Yeah. And so I think that there are some choices no one should be allowed to make. Yeah. And I think that's a, such a valuable question if someone makes that argument is, well, the choice to do what? Exactly. Right. That's, that's a great response. you know, it's it's a choice to choose who you want to marry. Absolutely. The choice to go out and eat food rather than go. You know, absolutely. But the choice mm -hmm. to, again, take the mm -hmm. life of your three year old child. No, you don't have that choice. Mm -hmm. uh, that is wrong. The same child that was the same child in the womb as absolutely. it is now at the age of three. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's that. All right. Perfect. All right. Here's the next one. Um, I wish you could see this, but my system is not working, so you can't see it. This is a flow chart. Um, oh. everyone, everyone else can see it unless you're listening on podcast. You can't see it. But uh, okay. what does it, say? Uh, it says, uh, can you decide whether someone gets an abortion or not? And the first question is, do you have a uterus? If oh. no, then it oh, says boy. F off. Um, and then it says, yes, if you do have a uterus. Next question. Is the fetus inside of you? If your answer is no go away. <laughs> and uh, yes, if the fetus is inside of you, then you get to choose what happens. So uh, this argument, like I, I, I've often heard it made and uh, uh, men can't uh, talk about this issue because they don't have a uterus. So if you have a uterus, you can, but this one seems to take it a step further saying you actually have to be pregnant. So even you, Megan, you're not the pregnant one. You can't say this. Only the pregnant woman has the right over uh, choosing what she is going to do. Yeah, there's a couple things that could be said about this. Of course, with the question of can men talk about it, um, that always perplexes me because really the only men that I hear being silenced are the pro-life men. So um, <laughs> that's confusing to me. Um, and there are a lot of men making uh, legislative decisions right now with regard to this, these issues. So yeah. um, 
Yeah. So there's that. I think that just, just like what we've been talking about all along, you know, what we offered here today, Ryan, was an argument. You could offer this argument. Arguments don't have a gender. Arguments are either valid or invalid. People can agree with them or disagree with them, but then they have to, you know, kind of address the argument. They, it's not, it's not enough to go, well, I just don't like it. Yeah. Like that would assume what we were talking about with, um, I think it was Susan's question about moral relativism with this idea that, well, right and wrong are just up for you and me to create. And so I can, decide for myself kind of thing when, when we would disagree with that. Um, and certainly we demonstrated with things like, um, you know, slavery and racism and the other vast and, and, and just jarring moral issues that are going on right now. We're not arguing about those being subjective. Um, those rightly so by the way. Um, so I, I think, I think there's that, but when it comes to, um, yeah, the, whether or not you're carrying a child, this is that moral relativism again, but not only that, I think to me, it would sound like, and I'm just guessing, I would love to ask this person some questions, right? Yeah. But I can't, I just have a flow chart. Yeah. Um, I think that this comes back to that body self dualism we were talking about, that if, if somehow the real me is just my psyche and my psyche would be satisfied by redefining my biology um, in some way, in other words, my body doesn't really count as part of me, so I can kind of do with it whatever I want. Um, in this, in this case, we're talking about that's where abortion is coming from is that I I can do it as long as it satisfies the true self. After all, it doesn't really affect me. Yeah. Um, when in reality, we see that it does really yeah. affect people. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and we're not saying that this decision is not so hard for someone who is finding themselves in an unexpected pregnancy. But again, uh, applying it to different issues uh, like we have brought up where I don't have to uh, be a slave or a slave owner to be against slavery. Um, yes. You know, and I've heard the argument too, like I don't have to have abused my wife in order to be against spousal abuse. Um, right. Just because now, you, you know, when you have done something or are part of something, it gives you a deeper understanding. Uh, but th- when you're talking about a moral issue, you don't have to have personally experienced it or done it to be uh, against something. And right. Or, we... have an, or have a thoughts about it. Absolutely. I don't have to be a general to, to have an opinion about war or to be able to talk about it reasonably. So, yeah. yeah. And you, often you if you bring that. that up, then if you if you bring up, for example, the slavery thing, they'll go, well, obviously racism and slavery is wrong. Again, now we're we're realizing the deeper question of, oh, well, it's because you don't actually think this is wrong. It's not the question of do you have a uterus or not or are you the pregnant one or not? Yeah. It's is this actually wrong or not? That's the yeah. issue. And we get down to racism and slavery are wrong because they treat other human beings as less than based on arbitrary differences. Yeah. Just like abortion. Yeah. So mm-hmm. good. Um, all right. Next one here uh, says uh, the pro-life movement is dangerous for women and young girls. Uh, they teach women and girls that their only purpose is to have children and they aren't mm-hmm. allowed to experience sexual freedom or pleasure and that they must only have sex to procreate. This is dangerous teaching. Wow. So as you as a pro-life speaker, are you teaching women and girls their only purpose is to have children? Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not teaching girls anything of the sort. In fact, I hope I'm teaching them that, um, well, well, again, we're going to come back to worldview differences here. This has some assumptions about um, not only the purpose of sex, but also what freedom means. Um, and I, I, I think we view me and this individual would view it very differently, but it would be important to talk about it. Um, I think that sex is awesome and good. (laughs) I think that God made it as a gift and and it's, that's why we get in such trouble with it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Um, I think he designed it for a particular purpose. Um, and for, and that is for the purpose of marriage. I think he designed it for a number of things of which procreation is one. And how wonderful is that, that children are gifts 
So I guess my counter to this would be a different narrative based on a different worldview that I think happens to be true and, and better in terms of what I see playing out in the world in front of me. Um, what if we lived in a society that had a better understanding of sex and of delayed gratification, yeah. um, of patience, of upholding the body, of sex being about the other and not just about um, taking something yeah. or self-fulfillment? Yeah. Um, what if what if the view of marriage were different? What if we lived in a society that viewed children as precious gifts and treated them as such, such that it overhauled our workplaces in an entirely different way? What if we lived in a society where women were valued as women because they alone have the ability to carry children? That is not something that biological males are able to do. Um, what if we had a society that said, we will value that you are as a full woman and your ability to do that in the way that we play out our society instead of treating that as some kind of a handicap? Yeah. What if those things came into place? Then we really, probably wouldn't be having this conversation so much. This would assume that sexual freedom and pleasure are the highest goods. Yeah. And I I would rail against that. Yeah. And I, and I would even push against this idea that I, I don't think that anyone truly believes in sexual freedom without limitation. I, I, right. I just, just a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or so, I, I had someone comment on, on one of my YouTube videos and said, you know, uh, kind of who are you to draw the line and say, this person shouldn't have sex. And it's like, we all draw lines. And I was mm -hmm. able to bring up, I said, well, what about incest then? Oh, of course not with a sibling. Okay, mm -hmm. well, what about an older male with a younger girl? Well, of course they have to be of age. Yeah. What about, you know, this? Oh, well, they have to consent. Well, so now you've drawn lines. So you, it's not pure sexual freedom. There has to be consent. They have to be of age. They they can't be, uh, you know, related. And, and so mm -hmm. I don't know anyone that believes in pure, complete sexual freedom. That's very yeah. rare, I should say. That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. Uh, next one here. Um, uh, this one is interesting. Um, uh, consent to sex is not consent to going through with a pregnancy. If mm. you drive a car and crash, you're still entitled to medical care, even if you knew the risks. Plan B, abortion, prenatal care, are all part of the reproductive health. You can disagree with that, but pretty much all major medical organizations support my point. Having sex does not mean you forfeit the right to health care. So, yeah, I, I should drive my car, but if an accident happens while driving my car, I should get medical care to help me with my accident. So it seems like it's making the same point here with, yes, I know pregnancy can happen, but uh, if that accident of pregnancy happens and having sex, I should still have uh, some solution to help fix my accident. Yeah, um, there was a lot there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let me try to follow the line of reasoning here. Uh, I think the first assumption is that abortion is health care in some kind of way. Well, the first assumption was is consent that consent to sex, to sex is not consent to pregnancy. Yeah, which is actually something that Judith Jarvis Thompson would assume, who has probably written one of the most persuasive arguments for abortion that I've ever read um, that you can still find from 1971. Um, I'm sure you can find her PDF online, Thompson without a P. I think this is how it's spelled. So okay. um, at any rate, uh, yeah, that that strikes me as odd, given that sex by design, biologically, is designed for procreation. Yeah. I think it's designed for more than that, because I, I do believe that there's more than physical reality. I think there is metaphysical reality. I think that sex is designed for entwining souls as well. Um, so, so there's more to it than that. But sex as an act is how we make babies. 
Um, you know, we in our society, because of birth control and th- other things, have in some sense kind of separated sex from babies in dangerous ways even sometimes because of what's come from that in the sexual revolution. Um, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but it's strange to say, yeah, that this this act designed for procreation, because how else do we make babies? Mm-hmm. Um, even in a test tube, it's, it's gametes, it's sex material. Um, that somehow consent to that doesn't mean consent to pregnancy that that's just not even rational <laughs> and it seems to go um, even with the last the last one we went over this idea of i want sexual freedom without any of the consequences yeah the consequences mm-hmm. of that freedom and you know you can kind of jokingly make the argument it's like i want to eat whatever i want without the consequence of gaining weight it's like that's not how it works there's a slogging up and yeah <laughs> um yeah so that that would be a denial of biology just a denial of reality in the way that it is, which is, again, I can point back to body self-dualism as a possible culprit there. Um, not, not that people walk around going, I'm a body self-dualist, uh, but that view that that is very much around us in the air that we breathe. Um, but as far as the car analogy, like when I kick my car out for a ride and get in a crash, this is where the healthcare question comes in. Because when you take your car out for a ride and you get in a crash, um, which heaven forbid that happens to us, um, but when you go to have health care, the purpose of that health care is therapeutic. It's to help you know, help bring you back to some sense of normalcy. Um, abortion isn't isn't treated that way um, in, in, in terms of like if, if a woman were to be in an accident and, and unconscious and they go to the hospital and find that she's pregnant, they're not going to try and just rid her of this disease to help her in some mm-hmm. way. That is not the way that we look at pregnancy on the face of things in our culture. I'm not denying that there are difficult pregnancies and, and, and things like that, um, but pregnancy is considered a good by most people. Like when my brother called me and said, hey, we're, we're gonna have a baby, he and his wife, I, I didn't be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> I was excited for him. Yeah. So this, is, this comes down to that, that, that healthcare question. Healthcare in terms of therapy uh, versus abortion, which is intentionally killing a human being. Um, so I would deny that abortion is health care, even if major medical organizations say that it is because of what the law deems um, yeah. through time. Again, this is a moral question. So I think me and this individual would differ there. As far as the entitlement question, like you're entitled to health care. Well, praise God, we live in a, in a, in a nation that, um, that will treat us when something is wrong. Like doctors who take the Hippocratic Oath will do their due diligence and treat someone who is ailing. Um, that's not the case everywhere. Uh, so this whole idea of entitlement, uh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing to think about too. Um, yeah, so I, I, there's so much. Yeah, there there is. I would want to ask this person a lot of questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think even one more thing to point out as you were talking Mm -hmm. of just this idea of that it's the biological natural function of, of sex that you, it leads to procreation. Uh, it's not the same with a car crash. Uh, The, the end result of driving my car is not designed to be a crash. That is an yeah. accident. That is a mistake. That is not what's supposed to happen when I drive my car. And so that you're, you're not even, wrong. yeah, mm-hmm. something went wrong when you go into a crash versus when you have sex and you get pregnant, that is something going right. You, you know, you, that is what it's designed to happen. Uh, yeah. And so I think you were comparing uh, very different yeah. things here. Um, all right, next one. Uh, this one I thought was very interesting. Uh, and I mentioned it at, very, at the very beginning of the show. And, it's, oh, and it okay. starts off, says, is a fetus a person? It says, if yes then we should treat it like a person, which means it is not entitled to use another person's body without consent. The pregnant person gets to decide if this other person gets to use their body for 40 weeks or not. 
then of course, if the fetus is not a person, uh, then we don't treat it like a person, which means a pregnancy is just a biological process and only the person impacted, the pregnant person should be able to choose or decide if it continues. So I'd love to kind of maybe focus on that first point is they're saying, yeah, if, if you grant that the, what you talked about, the science of embryology and everything, this is a valuable human being, we should treat it like other born valuable human beings. Well, we yeah. don't let another person use our bodies without consent, therefore you shouldn't do it here either. Mm, yeah. Okay. This, uh, here's, here's where we go back to the question before about pregnancy being a natural consequence of the sex act. Um, even if birth control is in place, you know, which again, lot, lots of reason through there, but biologically speaking, sex can lead to pregnancy naturally. That's what it's designed to do. So I think when it comes to this question, the only the only place that this objection has any room to even be grappled with, and I still don't think it's sufficient, um, would be in the case of assault or rape. Uh, because in all other cases, that person's undergoing the sex act meant that they did consent to what naturally comes from the sex act, even if they took preventive measures, which is pregnancy. So what happens if we change it up and ask the question, well, what if the person is responsible for the other person's use of their body, um, you know, which is which is interesting way to think about it. I'm, I'm getting like the whole Judith Jarvis Thompson uh, violinist thing in my head here. Yeah, we talked about um, that last time you were on. Yeah, we yeah. did. Um, and so that, that, that's an unnatural pairing up, right? Um, versus this, which is where else is that embryo supposed to be? Yeah. I mean, that's, that is its natural environment. Um, you could look at different things in terms of duty uh, and questions of duty and, and what is our duty to one another in terms of our own offspring, which would be something like I, if this, if you were in the room with me, Ryan, and it caught on fire, I'm bypassing you to go get the kids. Like, <laughs> I respect you. I think Megan, you're awesome. come on. I, yeah, I, I'd try to come back and get you, friend. <laughs> They're my kids, right? Um, so there, there's that whole thing. But I mean, I think about things like that little movie Up, uh, which is a great I think, Pixar Pixar film um, with the older gentleman and the little boy who ends up on his porch when his house lifts off. He did not consent for that kid to be there, but he wasn't allowed to kick him off. Hmm. That wouldn't have been all right. Yeah. And so he had to accept the circumstances and, and do the right thing in that circumstance. And he did. Yeah, um, it's a beautiful that's good. story. Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, uh, <clears throat> let's see. Oh, this one. Uh, the reason why I pulled up this one is is uh, I'll just focus on the last part. Is, is pretty much as there's any reason is a good reason to choose an abortion. There are zero reasons to deny women abortion access or women care. Uh, and then what I want to focus on here is as your own personal feelings about abortion does not mean you have the right to deny others access to it. So we kind of already addressed this one at the beginning. Yeah. This, we're not just talking about our own personal feelings here. Yeah, and well, and likewise, your own personal feelings about an entity does not define what the entity is. Hmm. So even if someone felt that they could define the unborn out of existence, it doesn't actually do that. Yeah. Um, again, this is that that whole like what what is the nature of the world we live in? How do we see it? How do we understand what is true about it? But scientifically speaking, if that's where people want to go for authority, this entity is a human being living yeah. distinct and whole ontologically we know what it is and our feelings about things don't change that yeah so i could i could flip that one around a little bit mm -hmm. yeah perfect um <clears throat> next one here uh you don't know what is best for anyone a child does not solve happiness for everyone how can you preach for life when you support unsafe abortions and women dying from childbirth forcing them to do things they don't want to do can mentally damage them 
no blank given. Um, so a couple things here again, uh, this idea of um, how do you preach? So very clearly, I mean, how can you preach life when you support unsafe abortions and women dying from childbirth? Uh, you clearly do not support those things. It's a misunderstanding of the pro-life view. Sure. Um, but uh, here, uh, you don't know uh, what's best for people. A child does not necessarily solve happiness. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> there's a question about happiness there or an assumption about happiness that that is somehow the most important thing. Hmm. And unfortunately, that's a lie that our society has adopted wholesale, that being happy all the time is the most important thing. Do I want people to be sad? No, I don't. But there are going to be hard things we walk through where we don't feel happy. Um, and so that, that, that's that's a, a part of reality. Um, when it comes to that, I'm trying to remember all the parts of this that you just said. I, know, you I wish know you could see it for it's... other people. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't necessarily always know what is best for other people. But I can know what is objectively right and wrong, and I yeah. can talk about it as such. And so that that would come down to a difference in how we view right and wrong um, that, I, that we've talked about already with yeah. the idea of moral relativism. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot there are a lot of assumptions there. If this person were talking to me, um, and I know they're not, this was a general thing, right? Or maybe they were. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, th no, these are all I just found on uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So if this person were talking to me, I would see right away that they are attacking my character. Hmm. Um, so what I'm going to do in a circumstance like this, especially if I've had the opportunity to present my case, which by the way, everything I said earlier, though it took a few minutes, you can really boil down to about a minute or so and, yeah. and kind of get it out. Um, and so if I, if I've presented my case, I would have to say, listen, you've attacked my character. Um, which, you know, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm a jerk, like, <laughs> but how does that make it all right to intentionally take innocent human lives yeah. through abortion? How does that undo the science of the humanity of the unborn or the philosophy of, of the, the, the personhood of the unborn? So they'd have to address the argument and they haven't done that here. They've made far like outlandish assessments of my character, which aren't necessarily true. I'm not for yeah. unsafe anything but again we're back to that unsafe for whom yeah assuming the unborn are not human yeah so i think this brings up a good question uh that we should be addressed and i think we addressed mm -hmm. it last time as well but um this idea of women dying from childbirth i think this is a common mm -hmm. objection against a pro-life view is about what about what about the cases when a woman's life is in danger Ooh, um that's such a fair question and a good one um, all right, I'll just tell you, Ryan, straight up. I'm going to give you the, uh, an intellectual approach because all I can really do is help us think about this well. Yeah. Um, I can't fix the hard part of this. Like that, That's the part that I want to help with, is the emotional. Uh, um, this, this, my friend, lost a baby to a circumstance like mm -hmm. this. Um, so it does, it, it's real. It does happen. Yeah. Um, so why don't we talk about her story, and that will lead us to an answer. She was diagnosed with an ectopic pregnancy um, about three years ago. And um, in the case of an ectopic pregnancy, often called a tubal pregnancy, it means that the embryo implanted somewhere that it wasn't supposed to. And most often that's in the fallopian tube. Mm -hmm. And what we know about those is that the embryo is not going to survive the pregnancy. It doesn't have enough room to grow. And we don't have the capability yet to transplant that embryo to the uterus where it could just develop normally. So if a woman goes through, uh, it continues with an ectopic pregnancy without it being addressed, um, if it doesn't end in miscarriage, which often they do, which is tragic still, um, the doctor will have to go in and remove the embryo. 
Because what we're looking at is a situation, if that embryo is allowed to continue growing, it will rupture the mother's fallopian tube and she could bleed out in minutes internally. Very, very dangerous. A circumstance is where, where two lives are, are going to be lost if nothing is done, if no intervention is made. And so a physician will uh, remove the embryo from the patient most often uh, when it comes to that point. And um, in doing so, that doctor can foresee that the embryo will die. But that is not the doctor's primary intent in performing the procedure. This is where this type of question differs from abortion. Abortion is the intentional killing of a human embryo or fetus. In this case, we're appealing to the law of double effect, which or the principle of double effect. In ethics, in a broken world, it gets that specific sometimes. And we look at intent. The physician's intent is to do the greater moral good of saving one life rather than losing two lives. What I can say to help us think through this is that most often these cases are early in the pregnancy. Um, and it makes it makes it even not ectopic pregnancies when we have difficulties. Um, it makes it exceedingly rare for this to be the case, but it does happen. Uh, we can do so much later in the pregnancy, wonderfully, miraculously, that we can help both mom and baby survive um, these kind of medical emergencies. But even even if a doctor had to make a crazy choice in the heat of the moment, um, by choosing to save one life rather than lose two doing the greater moral good, that choice does not take away from the humanity or the value of the life that is lost. It does not undo our pro-life case at all. In fact, what we would call that is a tragedy. I'm not even sure I would call that an abortion. Um, I would be equated to something like um, medic on a battlefield who can only work on one wounded soldier at a time. And what yeah. if he chooses this one and that one dies? So it kind of thing. So it doesn't take away from that one's humanity. It's, it's, it's the awful world that we live in and the things that happen. Um, so that's kind of how I go through reasoning about something like that. Most often a doctor will choose the life of the mother for circumstantial reasons. Um, and I do know that and, um, unless they're told otherwise. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. And, and I'm not, I guess, been easy on you with these questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is not an easy topic. My Absolutely. Friend. I, th I think I said nothing that we talk about will be easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I, I so appreciate you taking the time to really handle uh, these things with, with care and compassion and yet give uh, such thoughtful responses to them. Um, mm -hmm. I do have a few more if you're willing to uh, yeah, discuss a few more. Good. Okay. So uh, in this kind of the second group that I have, uh, some of them kind of repeat uh, some topics. So we can kind of go over those quickly. But uh, the first okay. one specifically gives an argument I've heard a few times I think would be important to uh, address. Uh, it says here... Um, oh, that was the last one. Let's go back. I don't know why it came up first. There we go. Uh, it says here, pro-birth logic or pro-life logic. A fe fetus equals a human. So then abortion equals killing a human. But then according to your logic, acorn equals a tree. So not planting an acorn doesn't grow into a tree, which then doesn't produce oxygen equals killing humans. So I've always, you know, heard this idea again of like acorn is not a tree. Fetus is not a human. Um, we're talking about, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. how, how would you look at that consistency uh, of this logic that Anna here presents? Yeah. Um, well, I think that what I'd, what I'd go to is this analogy that's often used in pro-life rhetoric um, when in discourse is because oftentimes people will say the other way around. An acorn is not an oak tree. A fetus is not a human. Mm -hmm. um, and so th where the pro-lifer would go or where I would go somewhere like this is to point out that um, the fetus is, in fact, a human being. And because of the type of things that human beings are and, and trees, for that matter, um, I'm going to get a little, little specific here. 
there's a philosophical distinction between what we would call properties types of things and substance types of things. So a property thing would be something that is constructed. We brought that up a little while ago, like my desk. It's just a sum of its parts. That's all that it is. Um, if I take it apart, it's no longer a desk. It's a pile of pieces like wood and metal. That's it. Um, the him, embryos and, and human beings are what's called substance kinds of things. Substance kinds of things aren't like constructed things and that they, they don't come into being over time. They come into being all at once. Um, they don't become more of their kind over a period of time. They're, they, they mature according to their kind. So there, there are real differences in, in these two types of things. Both an acorn and a fetus are substance types of things. Um, in the proper environment, I guess, if, if it were allowed to be, they mature according to their kind. But they, they come into being all at once. So the pro-lifer is, is pointing out that these are similar um, to discount the fact that somebody can't say, well, an acorn's not a tree, therefore a fetus is not a baby. Um, so that, that's where that analogy is used. It's a little bit taken out of context here, <laughs> yeah. um, I think, in that, in that it's being twisted around to somehow demonstrate that not planting an acorn is going to somehow kill human beings. <laughs> yeah, we need to save the acorns. Yeah, well, I'm all for planting more trees. But, yeah. <laughs> um, well, that this is just where we look at reality and go, okay, wait just a minute. I don't think this person is going to say the same thing about, um, I'll borrow an analogy from my friend Jay Watts. Uh, he talks about being in the Home Depot and there being a pesticide section in Home Depot. And he says, uh, you know, nobody really squabbles over the fact that there's like fire ant killer or I'm from Georgia, so I'm all familiar with fire ants um, or or bee killer, things like that in in the Home Depot. Um, maybe not bees because the honeybees are in trouble. So that's bad. But <laughs> anyway, the pesticide section. But what if next to the pesticide section, there was a kill your neighbor's dog or cat section? And what if next to that there was a kill your neighbor section? Hmm. Right. So what we're what we're demonstrating here is if we if we observe reality, we see there is a real difference intuitively between um, killing an acorn, as it were, and killing an, a human being. Yeah. Um, and so at, even at the earlier stage of development, like abortion does. So that's kind of where this one this one goes awry. Yeah. And you know, I, there's a big difference between hitting a squirrel with your car and hitting a newborn with your car. Yeah. And I think it's so important, as you kind of pointed out, of, of uh, just to kind of reiterate of, of uh, the, the fetus is a human, just like the baby is a human and the adult is human. But you're, they're right in saying the fetus is not a baby. And a baby mm -hmm. is not a teenager, and a teenager is not a, a, a an adult. Uh, there is, no. a, there, but there they're are all different. Yeah, but they're all different stages of development of the same human being. And so, yeah, sure, yeah. according to their kind, exactly, exactly. Yeah. By the way, I've I've hit squirrel with my car before, and I cried. So uh, just putting that out there. But well, I I stepped on a spider once and got yelled at by someone of how dare I? And uh, what did that spider do to you? I'm like, it's a spider. Mm -hmm. It deserves. <laughs> This would be like there. my son holding it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. A couple more of these. Uh, so we kind of, again, address this, but you often hear this argument of, you know, there's 140 million children worldwide that are orphans and y'all only care about them before they're born. Uh, so how would you kind of respond to this objection that we are just um, pro-birth, not necessarily pro-life? What about the, the kids that need adopting? Yeah, um, there's a few things here. Number one, that is a, a character attack or an ad hominem argument for those familiar with formal debate terms. Um, it's an assumption that I'm a jerk because I want to adopt 150 million children. Um, 
I think that's arguable that, that these children are waiting to be adopted and no one wants them. In fact, um, I think we could look at statistics in the U.S. if we really did the digging and find that there are probably a couple of million families, um, at least one and a half million, waiting to adopt right now, but um, the process being slowed down because of red tape. I understand that red tape is there for protective reasons, um, but there are families desperate to adopt children. Yeah. Um, so we can we could argue it that way. But in terms of what we're talking about, uh, the biggest point that I would make is my dog is upset. Can you hear him? In the <laughs> well, you talked about killing uh, dogs, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love my dog. He's a sweetheart, but he is not the same as my children. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, back to what I was talking about here back on track of the 150 million kids. Let's say that, let's say that I am just a horrible person and I don't care anything about these orphans, right? That's not true, but let's say that it was, how does that then give, then give you the right, the person who's making this statement, um, to, to adopt the wholesale killing of other innocent human beings, right? So it, it takes these things and kind of points out like what we're really talking about here with abortion is the intentional taking of innocent human lives. Um, that's not okay. I think that as human beings, my, my view of human beings is high enough to say, we have a lot of problems in our world. We have children who need homes and, and we have people who are facing difficult pregnancies, but we are the people who are talking about occupying Mars for crying out loud. We are creative and we are highly, um, dignified and able, able to solve these problems without taking innocent lives. Yeah. So, th so there's yeah. a difference there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kind of skip over with this one just a bit, but I, I just kind of pointing out again we've, how we've talked about this, and you brought this up, but this one talks about how the abortion pill has uh, terminated nearly 4 million unwanted pregnancies. Uh, mm -hmm. The abortion pill, though, is extremely safe, non-invasive, and reliable method to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. We, women deserves the right to choose. And so we talked about this of like, you can talk about abortions or the abortion pill being very safe, mm -hmm. and it's safe for the mother, but there is definitely safe one person who. it's not yeah. safe for. So asking that question, I think it's so good, safe for who? Yeah. Um, this one brings up uh, three kind of points. I, uh, so the first one is like, it says, it's okay to be religious, but mm -hmm. it's not okay to one, force your beliefs on others. Again, we've talked about this one. Uh, but the second one though is using scare tactics. Um, and then the third one is you can't or should not enforce religious laws of any kind. So we've kind of addressed, I think, one in three of we're not enforcing a religious law. Our religion happens to agree with it, but it's a natural law. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're not just forcing my belief or opinion on someone else. But what would you uh, say to the second point of that a pro-life position could, uh, could be argued that we are using scare tactics? I think I'd have to understand what they mean by scare tactics. Um, gosh, I, maybe I mean, they could I be really... arguing like the showing of pictures, uh, or videos that maybe uh, that is trying to scare or this last one that we're going to go over, I think would may maybe be considered a scare tactic, but. Okay. Okay. I, yeah. I'm thinking of like some who would say abortion is unforgivable that about like the signs that you'd read on the side of the road. Sometimes I, I admittedly, there are pro-lifers who don't always do it well. I think they're well-intentioned. Um, and, and I haven't always gotten it perfectly. So for that matter, but, yeah. um, when, what we're talking about here, again, we have to go back to what is abortion and what does it do? And we go back to our case, what is the unborn science and philosophy? And once we see that and we, and we understand, like, unless there is a counter to that, and I've never heard one to date, I've been doing the research, I, I try to read the best of the best that's out there that disagrees with me because I want to understand what it is they're saying. And I haven't seen anything that's convinced me otherwise. So if that's the case, why wouldn't I use imagery if it means it will cause positive change to happen, if it will cause reform to happen, if it will help other people understand what is the truth? Um, so I, I'm not opposed to the use of imagery. I'm, I'm opposed to the 
irresponsible use of imagery. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. Um, I, I just think about going to the Holocaust Museum with my kids and my daughter was in a stroller at the time and I appreciated the fact that there were waist high walls all through the museum so that she wouldn't be exposed to something that she wasn't ready to see yet. And I, as her parent, got to make that decision. Hmm. Um, I think I think we can we can do the same kind of work in a good way. But given that given that the the playing field is as it is, um, if that's the scare tactic they're talking about, if it's being used responsibly and graciously, I don't I don't see a problem with it. Uh, again, I just have to ask, what do you mean by scare tactic? So. In terms of enforcing laws, that's a weird one because every law enforces something. Yeah. And the idea that, that laws are not somehow religious or beliefs are not somehow religious, you know, because they don't, they're not Christian or something like that's weird too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah. Awesome. Um, now this last one, again, it could open up a whole can of worms and, and it, maybe that's not the topic here. I've discussed it in other videos. Anything but worms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that the, the, where I want to kind of go with this one is, is kind of maybe the Christian response. I, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, it says uh, pretty much because in many countries, abortion wants to be legalized. Abortion leads many souls to hell. Abortion is the worst misfortune for people. Pray, offer prayers of reparation, cover the world with your prayers, ask forgiveness for those who abort. So this is now a Christian, um, mm -hmm. I guess, trying to make a difference. And, and so, you know, I, and where I said that the whole theological conversation we could go down is do the unborn actually go to heaven or hell? But, uh, you know, maybe not trying to stay away from that one, maybe. But uh, mm -hmm. in my view, just so everyone knows, my personal view is that mm -hmm. uh, children do go to heaven. And so I, that is my view as well. I don't know if I can give you a, a hard case, an intellectual yeah. case from it from scripture. I can I can infer some things. Yeah. Yeah. And I have. Yeah. I have videos on that, too. So I guess uh, where I think this kind of, again, leads me and how I want to finish is Christians watching uh, the first one saying abortion is sending kids to hell. Well, it's like, I mean, you can have that view. But should we be saying that? I think at the same time when Christians say abort, I think the unborn go to heaven, then it's like, well, then we should have lots of abortions because we're sending kids to heaven. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I think there's just some difficulties that come either way when um, uh, we say abortion uh, sends kids to heaven or they send kids to hell. Uh, but how do we, I guess, then uh, you've kind of given this practical thing. How, I guess, how would you encourage Christians to go out there and speak up for the unborn in, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's a big question. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going back through like, you know how you get a question that's like many parts and your, your mind starts going like <laughs> over here is this one. And then, da, 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 da. um, yeah, I think that the, just to say a couple things about it, uh, when it comes to, well, let's just go ahead and have an abortion to, to prevent these outcomes, A, B, or C, whether it's this child might suffer or end up in hard circumstances or, you know, whatever it may be, um, I think I come back to the question that like, to me, that's someone who, who doesn't fully understand life. Not that I fully understand the gift that life is. None of us do clearly. Um, but in some level, like who are we to say that someone else's life is not worth living? That that's big. That's big. And then, um, I think about you know, what sends people to hell. Well, um, sin, <laughs> sin does. That's not atoned for. That's what, that's what sends people a rejection of God. Um, and so abortion is not, the only example of that. Um, so we have to we have to look at it that way too. So as Christians, I think when we're going out to talk about this, we can talk about the wrongness of abortion and we can be tenacious for the truth when it comes to that. And in the same token, like in the same time, we can be compassionate for human beings. 
Um, I think that that the brokenness of our world, when we look at it and we really understand the grace that we've been given as Christians, it should only humble us. It shouldn't make us feel elevated in any way because, I mean, it's easy to look at the world and go, well, well, God's not going well. Why would he save them? Why would he, why would he save anyone? Like the, the true theological position, understanding of the Christian worldview is we rebelled. Yeah. It's the story of a king who died for rebellious subjects because he wanted to, because he loved them. Um, and so that, that speaks to every individual's worth. Um, so I think that as Christians, we have to remember what we've been given. We have to remember when we encounter people who are struggling with sin as we ourselves are, it doesn't just erase our sin. It does in, in a justification sense, but we're still going to mess up. Um, but when we encounter people, we could go, this could be me. This could just as easily be me. Um, when we encounter people when it comes to abortion, I think the thing we have to remember is given that we're teaching the intrinsic value of humanity, like that all human beings are valuable just because they're human and they have to be respected and treated as such. That means that if we treat someone who disagrees with us, even if they're screaming at us, if we treat them with any less respect than the unborn children we're trying to save when it comes particularly to the abortion stuff and the pro-life movement, we're being inconsistent hmm. and they should call us on it. Um, that doesn't mean that you always have to be like, like sweet, like sugar, right? Um, <laughs> with everything. Sometimes, sometimes there are reasons to be firm in the way that we talk and the way that we address when we have particular audiences and when our witness is trying to like, someone's trying to ruin it. Um, we saw Paul do that. We saw Jesus do that. Um, but I think that it does mean that we treat people with the utmost of respect. So in terms of dialogue and when you're having these conversations, always ask good questions to seek to understand, um, before you start to pound <laughs> with things, seek to understand the story, where they're coming from, where the objection is. Is it here? Is it here? Um, cause that, that's different a little bit. Um, I think we always seek to try and elevate the person while we tear down bad ideas. If, if that makes sense. Um, that's what good dialogue does. We uphold each other, we respect each other, and we tear down ideas that we know to be false and give evidence as to why. Um, and then I think we point to the gospel as the answer, always, because it's our answer. <laughs> um, it's the only thing that keeps us going. So yeah. I could go on about that, no, but yeah. that, that's, those are the simple things and... Absolutely. And that's kind of where it comes back to. Yeah. Awesome. Megan, you, my goodness, I am blown away again. Again, the second time I've had you on, and this is the reason <laughs> why I wanted to have you on again, is I'm blown away at just your ability to to come into such a difficult uh, emotional uh, issue with such love and compassion and care uh, for loving people and, and understanding them. So um, thank you Thanks. so much. Of course, my pleasure. And thanks for those who joined us today. That was, it was incredible yeah, to just talk to you, Ryan. Quite a few people joined and uh, are still here. So thank you guys for watching. And I know many more will watch us in the future. So uh, again, thank you. And then again, uh, for people, I have some links below for you um, uh, at uh, Pro-Life Training and, and Summit, yeah. uh, the other places where they can see videos or things that uh, kind of you're doing. I know speaking yeah. has slowed down a little bit, but... Um... We've got some virtual events on the horizon. So okay. we're about to let people know about one in the coming couple weeks. So, awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Megan, well, thank you so much. Thanks, Ryan. Have a great one. Thank you. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Megan Alman as we responded to pro-choice arguments. I hope that this has prepared you to be ready uh, to respond and defend the life of the unborn. 
as we make the case, as we did in part one, for the unborn, and then respond to the objections. Hopefully this gives you that well-rounded approach as you stand up for life. At the beginning of this episode, I reminded you of a lot of uh, interviews that I have recorded already that have already been published on YouTube that are in the pipeline for coming out here on the podcast and the radio show. I want to let you know of some interviews that will be coming up live that you still have the chance to catch live and to send in your questions. And why I love the live show is it gives you the opportunity to interact with my guest. You can send in your questions live. They can respond right in front of you. You can ask follow-up questions, especially if there are not a whole lot of people watching. You get more chance to interact. But it really provides a cool opportunity. I know you probably... Enjoy listening afterwards and podcasting. Hey, I love podcasts. I get it. I listen to most of my stuff through podcasts because I can listen whenever I want, how I want, and when I'm on my bike, and it's difficult to catch something live. But if that is something that's of interest to you, I want to let you know what's coming up. So September 24 at 3.30 p.m. Pacific time, Dr. Hugh Ross from Reasons to Believe will be coming on the show to discuss his newest book, Weathering Climate Change. And so this is really going to look at that topic of climate change, global warming, of what is happening to Earth's climate right now, as well as he looks at the climate history of Earth. And really the focus of the point, the focus of the book is showing how we have actually been living in this incredibly stable climate history that has given the ability for Earth to sustain life and how this points to design and a designer and is evidence for God. He will also give some tips as a Christian scientist on what to do with climate change. So that's going to be a fun interview coming up on September 24th. After that is Monday, September 28 at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time is an interview with Elisa Childers. She has a new book coming out October 6th called Progressive, sorry, it's called Another Gospel. It is her look at progressive Christianity. And so she tells her story of growing up in the church, of where her pastor kind of started taking this progressive Christian view of not believing in the resurrection, not believing in the authority of scripture and these sort of things, and how she began to search for truth and was really challenged by kind of her spiritual leaders, her pastor, walking away from Christianity and starting to believe some very different things. And so through that process, she has found true Christianity and has written a book to help respond to these kind of progressive ideas that are coming into the church and Christianity. So that's going to be another fun conversation on the 28th, about a week or so before her book comes out on October 6th. That is available for pre-order if you want to get that on Amazon. So there are some other interviews coming up in the future, but those Those are two that are scheduled to happen. I want to let you guys know about. So with that, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day and a blessed weekend. My name is Ryan Pauly, and this is the Ryan Pauly Podcast. God bless.